Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, January 20th, 2023. I'm your host, Brian Peterangelo, and welcome to the podcast. With me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to provide their insights on this week's market activity. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, and Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series, addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. In addition, if you have any questions, as always, or if you need any more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. Taking a look at this week's economic news, the calendar was pretty full. On Wednesday, retail sales were reported and showed a decline of 1.1% for December from the prior month, and November retail sales were also revised lower. Industrial production for December also fell, with both of these releases indicating signs of a slowing economy, which is consistent with the Fed's Beige Book report, which showed that the U.S. economy in all 12 districts was basically flat since the prior report, and expectations showed little growth over the next few months. Initial unemployment claims declined to 190,000 yesterday in contrast with the other economic data we just released, continuing to show a strong labor market for now, but the big question is whether or not it deteriorates in the near future. We also had a number of Federal Reserve speakers this week for which we'll get Rajiv's take. And George, as we often do, let's turn to you first for your thoughts and observations on the economy and also a few comments on this topic known as the debt ceiling issue and what it means for investors. Well, you're right, Brian. The debt ceiling now is back front and center. Um, We actually wrote an article about this back in October of 2021, which I think might be some interesting history and perspective around how we got in the situation. I mean, this is actually a a situation and a scenario that we've been in time and time again. Uh, I think it was first acted uh, over 100 years or so ago. So we've had this history uh, of dealing with this issue. It's just become probably more politicized lately. But what it essentially is going on is that the credit limit of the U.S. is up for debate. Uh, it doesn't mean that we um, we can't pay our, our obligations or debts, um, but it does mean that there has been some debate, considerable debate lately with respect to the overall limit of what we um, uh, what we put forth in terms of new debt. So this week, I guess it was kind of front and center, uh, evidenced by and maybe kind of precipitated by Secretary Yellen uh, sending a letter to Congress saying that the debt limit essentially uh, would be reached this uh, this Thursday, uh, yesterday. This call is being recorded on the 20th. So at that point, it seems like uh, she now has to kind of um, kind of move things around. She's taking these things called extraordinary measures, which sounds a little bit worse than it is, but essentially it's trying to rebalance your portfolio a little bit to make sure that the, the, the bills that are outstanding can still be paid. Um, and I think in, in somewhat of inflammatory terms, um, you know, not to say that she's overdoing it, but I think she's uh, trying to generate some kind of action here from, from Congress. Uh, Congress essentially has the ability to um, disperse funds, and they've got, a, of course, now the ability to talk about the overall debt limit. And, um, you know, I think she kind of put forth this date that um, essentially the, the date in which we kind of uh, reached this limit of being able to shuffle some of these payments around was sometime um, this summer. And that was a bit earlier than people thought. I think when it was first floated around a few weeks ago, they thought this X date, as we call it, would be um, would be reached sometime in August or September. And now it seems a bit earlier. So, you know, and I think in terms of market impact, um, you know, I think this this is probably one of those events that probably is a black swan 
in plain sight, meaning I think this is probably a low probability but high impact event if we get to that point of, uh, of reaching that X8 where there are some debts that we just won't be able to pay. And you know, to be clear, I don't think it's an issue of an ability to pay, it's more of a willingness to pay. Um, and I think that's the issue that kind of caused uh, rating agencies, particularly S&P, to downgrade the U.S. debt in 2011. And many people are looking at it as kind of a, a playbook here uh, going forward. You know, I think the situation is kind of interesting, again, in terms of market impacts. You know, back then, we were dealing with the European debt crisis. We were still kind of on the heels of the great financial crisis. You know, the economy was was much weaker. It's weakening today now, too, but it was much weaker then. And people should kind of keep that in mind. And I also note that you know, just in terms of these events, you know, the, the market does sell off and sometimes anticipation of these things happening. Um, but it then rallies pretty quickly. Even back in 2011, Brian, the market was down, you know, almost 20% or so. Uh, kind of actually started before the um, the debt ceiling really was officially reached, um, and before the down the debt was downgraded. But then it rallied uh, subsequently in the, in the in the subsequent three and six months. The market was was higher. So I think these things are uh, these kind of provide some short-term trading uh, volatility. It does have a, a chance to provide some chaos, and that's never good. But again, I think these are more short-term kind of trading kind of phenomena as opposed to long-term investing things uh, to focus on. So in terms of things to do, you know, with a portfolio like this, I think we just want to kind of pop some popcorn, uh, fasten your seatbelt, and really, frankly, be, be prepared to embrace volatility. You know, there's oftentimes that uh, sometimes these short-term pullbacks provide pretty interesting buying opportunities. If you want to be more tactical, you know, we've seen a pretty interesting rise in, in gold. Uh, something I think that you pointed out, Steve, in one of your recent chart decks, uh, the price of gold actually has been an interesting hedge and it's actually caught a bit lately. Um, so real assets can provide some diversification. Bonds also have provided some diversification more recently. We talked about that for the past couple of months that there's income and fixed income again. And even, you know, probably one thing that we probably didn't anticipate is that the European uh, equity markets have done better of late. Uh, they've actually been outperforming and same thing with emerging markets. So people probably shouldn't turn their back towards uh, non-US assets as well. Uh, within the U.S. markets, we still like some of these equal-weighted exposures. You know, we like the fact that the, the cap-weighted indices, the traditional S&P 500, is so heavily concentrated in technology stocks. And so we want a broader diversification there, too. And even small caps have been uh, performing uh, as well. So there's a lot of little things we can do, I think, to try and uh, hide out a little bit and provide more diversification portfolio. But meanwhile, I think the bigger backdrop is, is really kind of focused on the economy. And we need to be mindful of kind of where we are from the economic cycle, and of course, Earnings are front and center too, and I know Steve will talk about that in a second. Uh, but first of all, again, I think it'd probably be remiss if we didn't kind of pivot, talk about the bigger drivers of the day, which is the Federal Reserve, interest rates, inflation, and so forth. So with that regime, you know, there are a lot of Fed speakers out this past week. What caught your attention, and what do you think the Fed is now thinking with respect to inflation as we start moving into uh, the letter, uh, letter weeks of January? Uh, thank you, George. And uh, you're absolutely right. There were a lot of moving parts this week with the fixed income market. Um, you know, we did see Bank of Japan come out, they held their monetary policy uh, unchanged, and that gave reason for U.S. Treasuries to really keep the recent gains that we've seen there. In fact, we saw the 10-year yield hit 3.4%, uh, and that's the lowest level that we've seen since uh, September. So we have seen this rally in fixed income markets, but as you mentioned, then we had to deal with Fed speak. And we had several Fed members speak this week, uh, including Atlanta's Bostic, uh, Philadelphia's Harker, uh, but really what moved the market, I think, was Bullard's comments uh, recently, uh, this week, actually, and where, where he said that, you know, even though inflation has, has started to trend lower, uh, and he expects that uh, inflation will recede in 2023, but it's not really as fast as projected by the financial markets. 
So the financial markets are really looking at inflation is going in the right direction. That means the Fed's going to start thinking about rate cuts sometime later this year, probably fourth quarter. Uh, Fed speakers are not really saying that. They're really saying uh, that, yeah, we're going in the right direction. Uh, I, I believe that uh, Bullard's uh, dot for the end of 2023 is around 5.25 to 5.5% for inflation. Again, that is not really where the Fed wants to be when they start thinking about cutting rates. Uh, it's, it's way beyond uh, with their 2% 2, 2 target that they have for inflation. So Bullard continues to uh, state that rates need to be elevated in order to push inflation down. And that really is the view that really moved the market uh, this week. It was viewed very hawkishly by the market. And then that kept the gap between twos and tens and fives and thirties on the yield curve to the widest levels that we've seen in decades. So it's it's really a different market right now. You're looking at twos, tens, you're looking at that inversion uh, and it's really kind of making you pause that there's gonna be some kind of volatility that you mentioned that continues because of this disconnect between the Fed and what the market is expecting. Keeping all this together, um, the consensus still for the next Fed meeting in February is 25 basis point rate hike. And in fact, many other Fed members who spoke this week talked about continued 25 base point rate hikes to really uh, try to do what they can to control inflation. And so if you look at the terminal Fed rate, we're still below 5%, we're around 4.9%. And the bond market continued to be rallying until this week. I think there's a little bit of pushback this week, uh, but the rally had really started back in November. And uh, it's all in speculation of this Fed pivot that might happen sometime in the middle of the year. Perhaps uh, at that point, we'll have better indication of who wins this argument between the market expectations and the Fed? Back to you, Drew. So you've got a lot of cross currents with the Fed and TMC, like we've got a lot of cross currents in corporate America too. You know, a lot of high profile companies have started talking about layoffs and uh, particularly it seems to be concentrated in the tech sector. I don't think that's the biggest driver of the economy. I mean, I think the tech sector individually represents something like, you know, maybe less than 5% or maybe around 5% of the overall labor market. It touches everything, but it's still front page news. So. What, what's your thoughts with respect to some of these layoffs we've seen in the tech sector this week? Well, well I, I think it's 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 very interesting, George, that people are trying to extrapolate what's going on with these tech layoffs to the overall economy. When I think it has, it's it's got much more to do with bloat. I mean, I think the worst thing that ever happened to the tech sector was Elon uh, tech sector employees, I should say, was Elon Musk taking over Twitter, firing seventy five percent of the staff and having absolutely no change in what people saw on the other side. So how many people, that, that I think made a lot of people in the technology industry sit back and go, hmm, how many people do I actually need to run this business? And there is likely a significant number of folks who are not needed. So, you know, I think that, um, that, that to me is the, big, the bigger takeaway than, than trying to say, okay, this is just a massive uh, economic slowdown that we're trying to, to get in front of. I, I think that over the last 10 years, we've seen a lot of bloat creep into the, to the tech sector and a lot of that bloat is getting taken out. Um, no different than any other sector that went through uh, of the economy that went through some type of an economic boom phase. So people need to kind of get, get, um, get their perspective reoriented as far as that goes. And you know, when we think about earnings, um, really we're starting to ramp into earnings season as we head into next week, more so than this week. This week, we've gotten up to 50 or so S&P 500 companies having reported 4Q results. It's 13% by market cap. Next week, we get another 89 companies, another 25% by market cap report. So far, revenue 
uh, has come in 6.8% better than expected and, and our earnings are, are coming in. I mean, earnings revenue growth has been 6.8%. Earnings growth has been minus 8.4. Uh, both of those numbers have been surprises, uh, revenues by uh, two tenths of a percent and almost 3% on earnings. It, that just tells you that the companies have done a good job of manipulating the, the expectations lower for the earnings number. So they're coming in with their typical beats. Uh, that's as it always goes. I always tell people, look, we focus more so on the market reaction than the actual numbers itself because of this whole game that gets played with the analysts and the companies. Um, and average stock price right now is rising zero <laughs> after results. We, we focus on the companies that double beat and double miss to try to get us uh, a feel for the sentiment in the market. Um, companies that double beat are higher by six tenths of a percent that is versus a five-year average of a 1% gain. So if you win on both revenues and EPS so far this quarter, the market is not rewarding you. Uh, if you double miss, you're lower by 2.4%. The average double miss over the last five years is a minus 2.9. So again, the market isn't necessarily penalizing you as much as it usually does either. So it's kind of a funny market right now. And that's the same thing too. If you look at the, the stock price chart of the S&P 500, we've come right back up to the top end of the channel that we've been in for the last year uh, in terms of the downtrend. And it's a downtrend until it's not. And that's kind of what we see with these earnings numbers too. They're okay, but they're not good enough to get us to break out of, the, out of that channel to the upside. Well, I think that's probably a fitting, uh, fitting way to describe kind of where we are, where we're kind of no man's land with respect to some of these larger um, mega cap indices. But again, as we said earlier, there are still things to do with a portfolio, despite these cross currents of um, a confusing Fed, a confusing earnings situation, um, some bloat coming out of the tech sector, and of course the theater that um, that defines Washington D.C. these days. So, George, one more thing, you yeah. know, on that theater. You know, I, I think people need to also think about back to, and I'll throw you a Churchill paraphrase, right? You can always count on the United States to do the right thing after exhausting all other options. And that's exactly what we're going to get out of Congress. They'll do the right thing after they've exhausted all other options. So we'll get there eventually, you know. Well, until then, it's probably wise just to kind of fasten your seatbelt, you know, think about kind of your portfolio construction in these times. You know, the idea, again, I, I would still emphasize is that you want to embrace this volatility because I do think that some of these, these shorter term phenomenon are just that. They're short term in nature and they're not, not always pleasant when you're riding through them. A lot of gyrations, a lot of headlines that, that really can kind of conjure up a lot of emotions. But long term, I think uh, calmness and, uh, and, and a steady hand is really typically rewarded. So with that, we want to really emphasize being diversified and, uh, and looking at some of the things we've talked about on these calls and other places as well. As usual, thanks for the great conversation today, George, Stephen, Rajiv. We appreciate your insights. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. As always, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information. And we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. 
Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, a member of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, a member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency, USA Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investments and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not being guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. eBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2023.